This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from a slightly crap and very rainy Los Angeles, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. We back, like Scott McTominay. Dave, it's so good to be back. It is dark wings, dark words times we're living in. The world needs more love, more joy, more beacon right now. It's wild days we're living in, David. Oh, there's plenty of beacon, Rog. There's plenty of beacon. You just got to go and get yourself some. I will say, watching Italian football leading the way by announcing a month's cancellation, our hearts go out to every single listener in Italy right now. I found it very moving, incredibly moving, when Tassuola scored in the final game uh, of the Serie A until the closing. It was actually played without fans. And the goal scorer netted and then ran to the sideline and held a sign-up to the TV camera saying, it will all be fine. Be safe at home. Incredibly poignant, beautiful human moment. News as we pod from Nottingham Forest that their owner, Evangelis Marinaku, the Greek businessman, has announced that he has tested positive for the virus and was at a game uh, there in Nottingham on Friday with the team. We wish him and everyone in Britain just, oh, courage. And the Premier League, it was somewhat surreal, taking a first, I'd say, tiny step into virus protection this weekend. The momentous decision that they were going to scrap shaking hands before matches, Davo. That'll stop it, right? Uh, there's enough contact in uh, in international <laughs> football, which is going to go way beyond the initial handshakes. Yeah, Rog. I mean, there's a lot of exchange of saliva. Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, football. Yes, granted, without pre-match handshakes, from our mentality is like trapeze artistry without a safety net. But they still have goal sellies. They still have dry humping at every single corner. Uh, they still have post-match handshakes. The only w- real storyline I was interested in, and we'll get to it, was whether Jurgen Klopp would be able to manage without his his tactical crutch, which is the hug, Davo. Uh, and as we found out, yes, he's quite able just with the chest bump. Oh, but these are remarkable times. Let's start this one off with a toast of meaning. I want to raise my third first bud of the day to a quote, which actually tweeted out by my old mate Dennis Berman who wrote that the world seems to be grinding to a fearful, lonely halt. And it's at times like this that it helps to read the great C.S. Lewis speech titled Learning in Wartime. I'd forgotten about this speech. I loved it as a kid. It was delivered weeks after the start of the Second World War. It really captures, I think, the ethos of the spirit of the time. And as Dennis says, Few speeches inspire us to just keep on going more than this one. This is it from C.S. Lewis, who wrote, I think it's important to try and see the present calamity in a true perspective. The war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human condition so we can no longer ignore it. Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. If men had postponed the search for knowledge and beauty until they were secure, the search would never have begun. We're mistaken when we compare war with normal life. Life's never been normal. Even those periods which we think most tranquil, like the 19th century, 
turn out on closer inspection to be full of cries, alarms, difficulties, emergencies. Plausible reasons have never been lacking for putting off all merely cultural activities until some imminent danger's been averted or some crying injustice put right. But humanity long ago chose to neglect those plausible reasons. They wanted knowledge and beauty now and wouldn't wait for the suitable moment that would never come. Periclean Athens leaves us not only the Parthenon, but significantly the funeral oration. The insects have chosen a different line. They sought first the material welfare and security of the hive. Presumably they have their reward. But humans are different. They propound mathematical theorems in beleaguered cities, conduct metaphysical arguments in condemned cells, make jokes on scaffolds, discuss the last new poem while advancing to the walls of Quebec and comb their hair at Thermopylae. This is not panache. It's in our nature. Oh, courage. Aside from combing your hair a bit, which is difficult for you and me, Davo, I raise my bud fam, blood fam to this spirit. Courage. I'll talk a little bit more at the end of the pod about what I'm going through. But right now, I want to get to the football. OK, we got a packed show. We're going to relive my Chelsea's 4-0 win over your Everton, Roger Nelblay Zerico. I'm not a better person because Chelsea won, though. I want everybody to understand that. Nor are you worse, Rog. I am, in because, a way. Because Everton were humiliated. <laughs> we talk a tri-lettered manager and Manchester derby between Ole and Pep, in which the Norwegian completed the league double over the Iberian. And you descend down to the sad nap bunker as Liverpool move within two games of the title. I will say, Davo, I'm really looking forward to... March 16th, my brother's birthday. Oh, a night. live television show, which the powers at NBC have decided to torture me by programming exactly right after the final whistle of Everton against Liverpool, a game which Liverpool, as we'll discuss, could win the title on Goodison Turf, David. That's 6.30 Monday. We also have, launching this week in our Men in Blazers on Ice series with the NHL, a beautiful, a beautiful piece with oh, Toronto Maple Leaf stash brother, Bieber line mate, one of the most potent centres in the NHL and a remarkable bloke, Austin Matthews, that debuts Wednesday at 1pm on all the NHL channels to the football. OK, Rog, as the uh, raindrops um, beat against the windows of my office in Los Angeles, I apologise for the, for the thudding you hear in the background, Rog. <sighs> Let's recap. Chelsea 4, Everton 0. And El Blazerico for the ages, well, especially for me, as fourth-place Chelsea run rampant over Europa League hopefuls Everton. A barbershop quartet of goals from Mason Mount, Pedro, Willian, and Olivier Giroud were the difference in this one. Roger, I assure you, I took no pleasure whatsoever from this. Everton still have not won at Stamford Bridge since 1994. Your mob slipped to 12th. And if I could reach across the continent and pat your little head smugly, Rog, I certainly would. Oh, I can feel it, Dave. I can feel your pat on my head like a phantom limb. I did love the tweet ahead of this one from at RobHanna85, a great GFOP, who wrote, El Blaze Erico, my father's fighting to the death. Bliss. Oh, it's not really a fight to the death if you're already dead, Rob. My hopes, honestly, were so low ahead of this one. As you said, Everton are winless in their last. This is astonishing. This, this is such an... It's astonishing and it's not astonishing. This is such an Everton-y statistic. 
winless in their last 24 away Premier League games against Chelsea, which, as you say, stretches all the way back to pretty much the time that the World Cup was last <laughs> on these shores. This one, super frank against Carlo Magnifico, possibly the most superlative El Blazerico of all time. I did take a second of pleasure, I'll admit, before kickoff, watching Carlo Magnifico stroll out at Stamford Bridge. That man who was a Chelsea darling, normally a man of style. He likes his thread counts. He likes his Loro Piana. He likes his cashmeres. And he chose to go with the Everton club and a rat look, replete with Everton crest, because he wanted to make it exactly clear whose team he rides with now. How did you feel to see your old gaffer back, a man who delivered a title and FA Cup double for Chelsea in 2010? Well, yeah, I mean, as the media kept on reminding us, this was Frank Lampard welcoming back his Italian dad, Carlo, <laughs> uh, back to Stamford Bridge. And, you know, Carlo did have a good season at Chelsea. Uh, we won the league. We pipped Man United. I think it was right at the end. I would say Carlo is a respected former manager at Stamford Bridge. I don't think he's beloved. And I think similar to what you said before he came into Everton, before you fell in love with him, Rog, that he that he he has been seen as something of a football mercenary. And I think he was seen that way a little bit at Chelsea. But I think Frank in the pregame went out of his way to say the most flattering things about his experience working under the Italian as a player and the and the friendship that they've managed to keep going through the rest of his playing career is moved to the United States and the seven or eight clubs that Carlo has managed since Chelsea. So, uh, you know, it was a, a nice moment that the two men had. Don't you go and throw my own words back in my face, Davo. Oh, <laughs> mate. I, I did say I shuddered also because of injuries and suspensions to Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante. Who was Big Frank going to unleash? The one I feared most. Yes, that 18-year-old Glaswegian. Billy, Billy, get out the chimney, Billy. Frank's on the phone. Well, stop sweeping the chimney, you silly little urchin. Mr. Frank's on the phone. The kid has not even gone through the changes yet. I've not gone through the changes, Gaffer. Don't worry. Frank, God love him. A up and down season with strengths, with weaknesses, with learning, all round. But this is incredible. The seventh player, he's 21 or under, to start in the Premier League for Chelsea this season. You know, definitely a top five Gilmore all time, according to GFOP at Mike Sell, who says he's up there with Rory, Lorelei and Happy. But let me ask you, Davo, when I was 18, my life revolved around John Hughes movies, mags, if you know what I mean, mags and pubs. Fruit machines, especially. Do you think if you miss that life stage of Mags, like Billy Gilmore is, that you're missing out something important in life? Mags, he, he can <laughs> barely read Rog at this point. He can, I, I was he can just see looking at the quite, pictures. To he be probably honest. quite likes looking at the pictures, but <laughs> Gilmore, they don't even call him Billy yeah. yet. It's like when we were at school, Rog, when we were called Davies and Bennett. He's not even used to hearing his, his, his Christian name. Yeah, even his mum. Gilmore, get out that chimney! Oh, to the football, this Everton performance was like a, well, really a slightly surreal Marco Silva tribute throwback in a way. Chelsea had the upper hand, were totally dominant from the off. They swarmed Everton, forced us to cough the ball up every time we possessed it, then just charged down the flanks deliriously. Oh, an early exchange set the tone. They cut Everton open, necessitating a wonder save from Jordan Pickford. And when it happened, I just was a little bit sick in my mouth because anyone who's watched a lot of Pickford, anyone who's well-versed in that Pickford algorithm knows that Pickford wonder save now can only be followed by Pickford comedy howler. And so it would be Chelsea 
passing, moving, operating at a step faster than Everton all over the field. It was as if, honestly, it was as if Everton had been like, lads, we've signed all the new contracts we're going to sign this week. Let's just say, let's shut it down. And who was it? It was double M, Mason Mount. Fantastic movement in midfield all day from Chelsea. You know, little Billy Gilmore. Billy Gilmore involved at the beginning of this one. Tempo setting. Um, and then Mason Mount takes the ball. What a turn uh, and shot. Just instinctive stuff right in the edge of the box. Knocks it in past Pickford's tiny arms. The exchange with Pedro. The ball back to Mount. Spin, turn. And then, oh, that ball agonizingly out of the reach of Jordan Thickford's tiny little child arms. I got this one, lads. You don't know, Jordan. You don't. You never do. First goal in 14 games for double M. And my first reaction was just to scream at the television. Thank God that wasn't Ross Barkley. And then Ross went and only made it 2-0 with that dagger of a pass through the gut of, what was it? I'd say it was through the gut of Everton's defence. Uh, J-Dub told me it was where the ether of the gut of where Everton's defence should have been. Keane and Sidibe in total sleep mode throughout the game. And who ran onto it diagonally, gleefully, little Pedro. Great pass just on side by, you know, a millimetre, I would say. Runs onto the ball from, you know, your former man, Ross Barkley. And a neat finish, considering that Pedro was dead earlier this season, that we thought that maybe Mason Mount or perhaps even Christian Pulisic, remember him, had actually ended his life as he disappeared. He wasn't even anywhere near the matchday lineup. A fantastic finish from the tiny little Spaniard. First goal in 18 games. Everton at that point, just a footballing make-a-wish foundation as he put his little foot on the hoardings on the sideline and just grinned at the Chelsea faithful. You realise Everton were just there to make tiny children's dreams come true. Everton did have a chance to make it 2-1. Richarlison, a DCL, galloping in, 2-1-1, only for Dominic to totally fluff his finish. To be fair, it was way too far out for DCL. It wasn't right on the goal line. That was like deep three-point range for our man. And in all, this was Everton's first half, as poor as I have seen under Mr. Carlo. Sidibe, my God, I'm waiting to find out that Sidibe played an entire half of football on acid, like Doc Ellis, but without the no-hitter. It was just a showing so bad. It was almost like I started to admire how bad Everton were. It was like the room of Premier League performances. I did begin the second half with hope. It's just conditioning. It's just muscle memory. It's scars. And that hope lasted five minutes because you obliterated a shooting on sight against our infant keeper. And it worked, David. Willian with the next one, fantastic finish. I mean, Chelsea just looked in the mood. Every single player on the park looked in the mood. Even Kurt Zuma looked in the mood against his against his former club, Rog, yeah, um, after that almost giveaway at the end of the first. And yeah, Willian, instinctive shot, fantastic finish, 3-0. And we're going to talk about the babies because Giroud added a four. But it was your old war horses, Pedro, 32, Olivier Giroud, 33, Willian, 31, who were ultimately Everton's executors in this one. And really, it was dead after a couple of minutes of the second half. I actually spent 30 minutes trying to like squeeze my eyes a little bit shut so I could try and make myself believe that the team in blue was actually Everton, which even by my standards was next-level self-deception. At Schmub tweeted us to say, my son just asked me, why did you make me an Everton fan? With the same tone of voice as he used when he asked me, Dad, why did you drink so much? At the Dude Man C tweeted us to say, 
Everton should have seen this result coming. Ancelotti tried to counter Alonso and Giroud's good looks with just Gomez in the middle, hopelessly outnumbered. They needed to defend with mirrors. Oh, that sums up the game better than anything because Chelsea spent the last 25 minutes just bringing on one youth player after another. I mean, I think they was like mascots they started to bring on after a while. That Magic dropped us a line to say, I just wanted to thank you, men in blazers. My five-year-old has listened to so many pods in the car. He actually thinks Chelsea's real name is Chelsea's Babies. You must have been so proud, Davo, as they just unloaded the bench with youth. One thing that Frank has managed to do all season is he keeps on finding new babies to replace you know, his babies who are out. You know, this is Chelsea's best player this season has been Tammy Abraham. He's, you know, was not one of the players you mentioned, like out injured. And they found a way to sort of patch this up. Billy Gilmore, man of the match. Billy Gilmore. He was unbelievable in the center of the park. Second game running. Andrew came on at the end, but I don't know how good he looked, but he came on at the end. There are more babies to come out of this academy. For me, Ross, what I kept on thinking is a year ago, well, a little bit more than a year ago, we were at this fixture last Premier League season. Um, we sat together through an absolutely lifeless, very, very poor uh, draw at Stamford Bridge. Fantastic. You would have bitten your arm off for that performance from Everton. But Chelsea, think how far they've come in a year. Looking back to that day, even with Eden Hazard, Chelsea were lifeless, unimaginative. Their playmaker was David Luiz just pumping long balls forward in the middle of the park. This is a fast moving. You can sort of see a preview for the team that Chelsea, the team that Frank are trying to build going forward in the future. And it's full of movement, full of fast thinking, full of attacking flair. It might not be a Premier League winning squad or side at this point, but they're going to play interesting football. I mean, the exciting thing for you is that your stars of next season haven't even been born yet, which is amazing because I'm pretty sure that towards the end of the big game, here, Frank just started to sub on some of the cars for kid stars just to punk us. This was Chelsea's first win against Everton since 2017. Oh, it was an L Blazer, Eriko, bare bottom spanking. Bright side for me, as I texted you at full time. Ross Barkley, that Benedict Arnold, Judas, Frido, Corleone and Godfather 2 in cleats didn't score. So technically, it did feel like Everton had gotten three points. Mr. Carlo, though, said post-game, everything went wrong. It was not difficult to analyse this game. At least he was honest. It felt dark, though, for me. Season over for Everton. Another non-winner of a campaign. Three games played now against United, Arsenal and Chelsea. One point to show for it. A reality check of where we are right now. Those dreams of Europe, which flickered so brightly in my heart, even a week ago, have now been thrown back cruelly into my face. We are also runs and you know I watch football for respite more than ever now you know the escape from the realities of this too awful world somehow Everton served up a performance that was even worse than the reality in which we're living and who's up next Davo it's only Liverpool on the horizon what could go yeah. wrong now from one derby El Blaise Erico to another Man United 2 Man City nil. it's the other big game of the weekend it saw Ole complete the double over crosstown rival Pep Guardiola in what was a pretty dire footballing spectacle, if we're being honest. Tony Martial started the scoring in the 30th minute, capping an ornate set-piece routine with a first-time finish. And in the 96th minute, the most popular item at Scottish McDonald's, a McTominay, sealed the points <laughs> by pouncing on a piece of woeful Edison distribution and driving it home from 40 yards. What a goal. Pep's mob stay second and focused on the remaining cup competitions. United remain hot on Chelsea's trail in fifth, just three points behind them. Oh, the Manchester Derby, or to give this game its proper name, 
the Manchester Derby starring Mike Dean and featuring United and City. Bit of an odd one, this. From the off, City had won seven of the last ten at Old Trafford and had a 15-point gap between them and United before kickoff. They've got no real danger of seeding second place. They've got no chance in hell of catching Liverpool. They've got one eye on the Champions League battles to come. Almost felt like for them, this was a dead rubber in which injuries could mean they could finally unfill 19 years and 285 days old Phil Foden, who's been their player of the future for the last decade. And from the Mm. off, City ran at United, who played like an away team, seeding 72% of possession without looking particularly stretched for the entirety. Fred, God love him, or a man who I'm increasingly starting to believe is actually Fred's brother. Certain his muscle alongside Fernandez, probing down the flanks. United coiled to break through British Jordan Morris, Daniel James. Did the whole thing feel like a true Manchester derby to you? You know, it was odd. And I think add to that sort of weirdness for Man City is that, you know, even if they finish in second, they may not qualify for the Champions League next year unless they get some European court to reverse itself. So, yeah, it's an odd city. But the bigger difference for me was United. This sudden United who've been through so many seasons in one season <laughs> and just with the addition of one player, just of Bruno Fernandes, they suddenly just look and feel like a completely different outfit. It's amazing. The British papers are having a love affair with Fernandes. They are currently wanking yeah. over him on a daily basis. I loved one article which called him the polite Portuguese with the stare of death. There was another one this morning talking about he's a leader. He's a boss. He's a man United have been crying out for. They're, they're all obviously too polite to mention that he's got the teeth of a rice field rat. But whatever. <laughs> he had a game plan. United had a game plan. And that game plan paid off in the 29th minute when, after the slightest of Gundogan touches, the feral Portuguese just projectile forward in agony, free kick United, and the City players surrounded Mike Dean in protest. He waved them away with, I'm Mike Dean, and I get respect. Your cash and your jewellery is what I expect. And what <laughs> happened, Davo? Training ground magic. Amazing goal. I don't know. I guess they are what did work this out on the training ground, and yet it looked completely improvised in the moment. And certainly City had absolutely no answer for it. A little dink, a little alley-oop, as you wrote on the Instagram from Fernandez, finds Martial in stride. The City defence, like, you know, getting posterized at that moment. One would say a neat finish, not a finish that you would expect to be a world-class or even national-class goalkeeper, but uh, a finish all the same and a great goal. Yeah, I mean, this was a, we said on the show yesterday, like a New Orleans Pelican-style alley-oop. Fernandez strolling around like a, a lost Portuguese ball brother. And then the dunk, the dunk from Zion Williamson, Anthony Martial. Thank you to all the New Orleans Pelicans fans who tweeted back that Zion Williamson would have actually been more emphatic that the, the shot was not like a Zion Williamson shot. Four goals in his last five starts for Martial, the first United player to score home and away in the derby since Ronaldo. I, I thought Pep would have been seething though, just a cacophony of City cock-ups across the bat line. Gundogan and Aguero switching off to let Martial free. And Edison was just like, nah, bro, can't be bothered, which was the epitome of City in this XFL of Manchester derbies on this day. I was like, how would City respond? And they really didn't respond in a City-like way, Dave. I don't know if it was like KDB missing and the mental edge he brings not being there. There was just a sloppiness in their thought the whole way through. Yeah, and look, and I think United just moved a bit better than them all day. They seemed to have more speed, 
you know, whether it was Daniel James, like he's, he's like a hare at the Greyhounds, Rog, like down one wing or the one on one defense of Aaron Wan-Bissaka on Raheem. They just seem to just press City onto their back feet, the entire team. And City don't seem to play very well off their back feet. Yeah, Raz seems to have lost interest in this entire campaign. I and mean, it was like only about three months ago, we kept talking about this it was the season O Raz trademark. I think Raz has let that trade, the lease on that trademark uh, go. Closest they got to the score sheet was Kun Aguero, a goal ruled offside by the length of a nipple hair. Phil Foden, not a lot of influence on the flank. He did move into the middle late on with Gundawan as Jesus replaced Aguero and the disappointing Bernardo slunk off for the live wire Mares. But United never really feared City. Yes, they withdrew all thought of attacking towards the end, seeded all hope for possession and dug in. But Maguire, so solid. As you said, Wambasaka excelled. Luke Shaw, looked like the Luke Shaw of his early teens. It was pretty joyless. Yeah, do you know what? Because he, he wants a McTominay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have two McTominays and a vanilla milkshake, please, miss. Oh, but it was effective. Phil Foden was, to me, just a poor man's Billy Gilmore on this evidence. Mares flickered and fainted but couldn't find the killer pass. And at the death... As City charged forward, we got a bonus for those who stayed awake until the very end. McTominay had come on as a substitute. His presence actually was like a giant security blanket. I adore watching that man. He smothered City. And in the 97th minute, I don't really, still to this day, I don't understand what happened. Edison, David, what was going through the Edison mind? Well, he was trying to make something happen. I mean, look, he is known as a very good distributor of the ball. And he does have ambition with distribution. But... You know, very dangerous to put a ball into that area down the middle of the park. It misses his intended target or, you know, any four of them that it could have been at and uh, falls to McTominay and just a wonderful, instinctive, perfect finish from what, 40 yards? Yeah. McTominay. And, uh, uh, and there it is. Great goal. 2 0, Derby over. Humiliation complete. Jersey pulled over his face. Edison had a terrible, terrible Manchester derby. Yeah, Edison's just Jordan Pickford with neck tattoos and grown man arms. It was an exclamation point ending. What a fantastic technique, by the way, swooping hungrily on that ball, first time in it into the empty net. It was an exclamation point for Manchester United, their first league double for a decade over City. Let's be honest, this was a terrible game of football to me. It was like the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse of Manchester derbies. It was expensive, but undeniably mediocre. Stay away from the cheesecake. I love the image of Ole at the end in the rain, the driving Manchester rain, just pumping that fist as the old Trafford faithful serenaded him. Oh, with chants of Ole, Ole, Ole. What feelings must have flowed through his veins? Vindication, knocked down. He gets up again with his whiskey drinks, with his lager drinks. He's been mocked. He's been derided. He's now beaten Pep three times this season. And this was a massive three points to keep United in touch with Chelsea, keep their claws on fifth place. They played, to me, Davo, with determination. Not exactly full confidence, but resilience with fearlessness. Outwit, outplay, outlast, which is something, right? And, you know, individual quality, as we've always said on this United team. And just this addition of the one Portuguese seems to have instilled them all with a bit more, ironically, pep in their step. And they are... They all just look more up for it. Yeah, and the fans can now dream of a return to health. Rashford linking up with Fernandez with Ole at the wheel. Oh, and, you know, full-throatedly bellow Ole's name at the final whistle without irony. He's going to be Manchester United's manager at the beginning of next season. But for City, was this a case of a team with every motivation playing a team without one? 
Or is this the way to beat City with good players, well-organised, disciplined, pressing them and then taking your chances on the break? Well, look, there is a betting philosophy in soccer and Premier League football is that you always back the team who, who needs it more. That's, I think, been borne out over long seasons in fixtures when the team that needs that victory more for whatever reason it is at the top of the table or the bottom of the table or to save a manager or to impress a new manager tends to find a way to eke out a result. And Man United definitely seemed for the entire game as though they wanted it more. And you know what? You're right. What exactly are City playing for at this point? Yeah, Pep, though, will have howled in that mirror Sunday night as he looked at himself in his undies, fully aware Oh, that it needed Edison to hand out the assists on both United goals. That's the truth. Three Premier League games this week for City. If they lose to Arsenal midweek, then Liverpool can win the title at Goodison Park on Monday. Thank you very much, Man City. I would honestly rather go on a cruise ship vacation than have to watch that 90 minutes. Producer Jonah, though, gave me hope. He's a huge Arsenal fan, texting me at the final whistle to say, don't worry, this is the worst possible result for Arsenal. City battered the 3-0 at the Emirates. God, how I fear the biblical hiding we will get Wednesday. Why have we had to play them twice this season directly after a derby loss? We will see. We will see. Liverpool 2, Bournemouth 1. The league leaders inch closer to what would be, and I don't know if this has been mentioned anywhere, Rog, their first title in 30 years. It was actually the (laughs) Cherries who struck first in this one via Callum Wilson. But a 24th minute Mo Salah near post-roller and a 33rd minute Sadio Mane strike, both off Cherry's defensive errors, put Liverpool within six points of the league. (sighs) Slumping Liverpool, as I like to think about them going into this one, that 22-point gap. Starting to look precarious, only in my imagination, after three wonderful recent defeats in four games. How would they respond? Especially now they've got Hendo out, and no Alisson, out. Oh, for this Bournemouth test and the midweek showdown with Atletico Madrid to come, plus a slightly tweaked, slightly rested Andy Robbo. My nipples were a bit pert ahead of this one. We were privy, though, I thought, to a remarkable moment of the season pre-game. James Milner, surrounded by his teammates, doing the pre-match stretching, and he just barked at them. Catching straight away. As soon as we lose it, there's bodies round it, and then we play out that area, right? Everything we do, highest tempo today. No matter what who scores, we score, they score, we lift it again, eh? Every kick off the trigger for us. It was amazing to listen to. Your team haven't lost to Anfield in nearly three years, but you still send out a leader to hammer home the key messages of the club. Collective tenacity, no complacency. That, to me, that was the whole Liverpool season right there. It's impossible not to be impressed by that mentality. They are a living, breathing, post-ironic parody of themselves in PowerPoint is sort of what they are. They're like a living, breathing PowerPoint. They're like the perfect way that any business would want to be conducted. It's the kind of stuff you read in books about business philosophy or sporting philosophy or team philosophy, but almost never see. Week in, week out with Liverpool, we see those words turned into action because, again, the opposition scored first. Bournemouth, perhaps controversially, waiting for their chance to charge at Liverpool on the counter. And when it came... Oh, Wilson gave Big Joe Gomez a shove in the back, which was neither seen by man nor var. The temerity of the push made Liverpool switch off. I mean, they were really rocked by it. And Bournemouth continued to charge forward with a clinicality ripped straight from the Liverpool playbook. Billing found the charging Lerma, spanked the ball back to the pushy Wilson. 
and he delivered a Mane of a finish, just pure on war cherries in that moment. And then you cut to the sideline. You see a furious clock revving up Anfield and his team responds so quickly, so devastatingly. That, to me, again, the tenacity of Liverpool this season, David, that is what is impressive. Every corner of the way that you're meant to play this game, technically, mentally, physically, their endurance is amazing. Even in this mini slump, the loss to Watford, the loss to Chelsea in the cup, they're still the most impressive Premier League side I've ever seen. Mane found Salah, the washed Egyptian king, rolled it through the defender into the corner. No finer way to celebrate his 100th game for Liverpool than by notching up his 70th league goal. Cue the sideline, the clock chest bump, bellowing at the fourth official. I will say if any other manager did that, say Jose or even mild-mannered eyebrow raiser Carlo Ancelotti, they get a yellow or a red for that. Second goal, inevitable. Verge found Mane in acres of space. He made no mistake. 14th league goal of the season for the Senegalese. And for Liverpool, remarkably, a record-breaking 16 time this season. They went into half-time with the lead, despite conceding first. That is the tenacity of champions. There was one more breathtaking moment. We man Fraser chipped Adrian, only for James Milner to go full-on English Barishnikov. Oh, the Black Friday of clearances. James Milner, who wants to sex James Milner? Never stop, never settle, charging back, slicing it wide of goal like an English Jossie Zardes. J-Dubs yeah. texted me, in a world of sugary sports drinks, Milner is a tall, cold glass of whole milk. At Optimal WC tweeted, as much as I despise Liverpool, I can't help but love James Milner. Any proper fan should. His performances week in, week out, and throughout his entire career, Everywhere he's played have been phenomenal. That goal line save was like, he also has speed, which we forget. He actually has speed, Roger, and desire, and it was amazing. It looked a certain goal, I think, almost against any other team. On every team you hate, there's always a player you love. I used to love Paul O'Neill on those New York Yankees teams, which I couldn't stand. Juan Mata and the most evil Chelsea. If you don't admire James Milner, I do think, to take John Oliver's words, you're tired of life. At the final whistle... Bournemouth still in the relegation zone. Darkness for, oh, good old decent Eddie Howe, but massive relief for Klopp, who'd spent the entire 90 minutes chirping at the fourth official. Liverpool's bat line did look vulnerable. There's not the same syncopation as they charge forward in attack. And in comparison to Alisson, Adrian is a mere mortal. But that mental blueprint, Milner's pre-game command, it doesn't matter who scores. We score, they score. We lift it again. That's what is burned deep into Liverpool's prefrontal cortex more than any other club I've ever seen. Two more wins is all they need now to fulfil their dreams of glory. They've got a new top flight record for consecutive home wins. They can still get to 107 points. They can still win the league by a record 27 points. To get some perspective, it is a season of wonder. Meanwhile, at the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> Tottenham won. The Clarets opened the scoring when the Kiwi half of the Lancashire Bash brothers, Chris Wood, thrust home a typically agricultural rebound in the 13th minute. But just after halftime, Tottenham levelled the score from the spot. They slipped to eighth place. The Clarets, meanwhile, are unbeaten in seven. Oh, Ginger Mourinho against Bald Mourinho. Spurs, no wins in a pass four. Bleeding confidence. I think Burnley is the last place you want to go when you're in that kind of form. Just a defensively potent team against Spurs' blunt attack. And Spurs were lethargic. They were disorganised. They were unmotivated for most of this one. They were lucky just to be 1-0 down at halftime. Lo Celso changed the game, coming on as a sub. 
using his intelligence, his direct running, his passing range, set up Lamella to charge in on that human liability, Ben Mee, and draw a penalty, which Delhi converted for his 50th goal of his career. Oh, credit Burnley, unbeaten in seven. Second longest unbeaten run in England's top two divisions. Outshot Spurs and a tribute to me how they've turned this season around that they would feel disappointed at the final whistle. One word, I've got to say, Dwight McNeil, he's the best Premier League player who no one ever talks about. He just took my breath away in this game again and again and again, as he did when he played at Chelsea earlier this season. I fantasise about seeing Dwight McNeil in an England shirt. I fantasise about seeing him in a Chelsea shirt at some point, but it seems like he's very happy in Lancashire. Possibly one of the only English Dwight's ever born in the whole post-Anglo-Saxon history of our land. Well, he's an English Dwight and an English McNeil. He's really got, he's, he's got a, a rare combination of Englishness. Oh, English so, lads with American names, Dwight McNeil. I, th- I think you could probably have him play for America, just not because he's got any American just blood, just name. based on Dwight. Yeah. yeah, we'll sign him up. Get in there, Burhalter. <laughs> <laughs> Dwight, it's got to be American. Yeah. Let's let's fast track him. By the way, FIFA, FIFA will allow that. Anyone called Lance or Dwight or Happy or Biff, no matter whether they have any American genealogy at all, automatically can play for the US. I've just made that rule up. I think it's fantastic. Joe say, though, Davo, troubles mounting. Harry Kane's people briefing the press. He could move to Manchester United next season. Daniel Levy, yeah. the chairman already trying to win the optics battle about how small next summer's transfer monies will be. And Mourinho oh, throwing in Dombele at the final whistle right under that bus, the club's record signing, saying Spurs didn't have a midfield. Is this third-year Jose upon us, Davo, in year one? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's speeding up the life cycle on the multiple Jose's. He's gone third-season Jose, and he's barely been there 11 <laughs> games. We should touch base on the surreal sight of Eric Dyer storming into the crowd to protect his brother from abuse, Meta World Peace style, after Spurs FA Cup defeat to Norwich last Wednesday. You will have all seen him on social media attempting to wade into the crowd to join an argument with one fan uh, in the stands uh, after the fan had had a reported disagreement with Dyer's brother. If the club punishes Dyer, I will not agree, but what he did was wrong said Mourinho cryptically after the game. What do you make of it, David? Well, look, yeah, you can't have players running into the stands after the game, however badly they've been abused, however badly family members have been abused. You just can't have it. We can't encourage it. It can't be endorsed, and it shouldn't happen. However, there remains this continuing sickness over certainly English football and football in a lot of countries around Europe and in South America where the just abuse hurled by fans at players, at family of players in the stands, at friends of players in the stands, is just allowed and accepted and continues and continues and continues. And that's the bile that set this off. That's, the, that's what started this entire thing. And increasingly, we just have to, we have to figure out a way to stamp it out in the same way because it's out of that same bile. Football's been dealing with a lot of problems, unfortunately, over the last couple of seasons, you know, issues at various top clubs with racism coming from the stands. But obviously it's a it's a a, a, a less important and less toxic issue than racist abuse. But this is all within the general field of human bile and abuse and just 
terrible, terrible, terrible behavior that just is too easily tolerated and just can't be. Yeah, in the social media age of mouthy, trolling, rage, hate, and anger, yeah. which is now a spigot in all of our lives, what Dyer did was the physical equivalent of facing up to a Twitter troll, but he did it in person. At the same time, I can't help but think, when I watched it, I was like, this is a sign of the confusion and frustration that Spurs players are feeling right now. And it was it was dark. And he's a wonderful, wonderful boy, Eric Dyer. Remarkable bloke. Uh, it was awful to watch. Arsenal won West Ham nil. The Jack Wilshere Memorial Derby sees Arsenal win their third in a row behind a 78th-minute bump, set, spike routine from Oba, Ozil and Lacquer. Arsenal move up to ninth. They've won three in a row and continue their ascent under the man in black, Mikel Arteta. Yeah, Arsenal spent much of this game maniacally trying to feed Saka to run the, the entire gameplay from the flank. Their back line was flat-footed. Sprightly West Ham at times cut through them without really having the confidence to supply a final touch. And as the game progressed, the stress levels built. Mikel Arteta had made it clear pre-game that failure to qualify for the Champions League this season is going to make it so hard financially just symbolically for Arsenal to attract the calibre of players that Arsenal fan TV expect and demand. Lacquer saved the day. The delayed gratification of a VAR awarded goal after the delayed gratification of a substitute appearance. Overall, a forgettable performance, but thanks to some big Leno saves and the joy of having someone other than Oba score three massive points from a game Arsenal would have drawn a month ago. My mate Michael Cohen, huge Arsenal fan, he texted me to say, I have so missed the peculiar joy of the ugly win. <laughs> yeah, it was also, it was the most offside looking goal of all time that wasn't offside. Uh, I just sort of credit VAR uh, for figuring that out. Amazing stuff. 11 points won from the last 15 for Arsenal. Fantastic, fantastic. Approaching joy for Arsenal fans. They deserve it. Leicester, four Aston Villa nil, hashtag Brodgeback. Third place Leicester get their first win in five games behind doubles from Harvey Barnes and Jamie Vardy. This might have been the most Jamie Vardy brace of all time, Rog, between the penalty, followed by the taunting of Villa's Rayner, and then his second, which he just lashed home. Villa have lost four straight and are two points from safety. Leicester stay five points ahead of Chelsea. Yeah, Villa swamped in the bottom three. Chelsea, Wolves, Liverpool, Man United to come. Panic in the streets of Birmingham. But in Leicester... Oh, Rodgers mob had only won three of their last 12 games. Hadn't scored uh, in their last three. That's because they didn't have a creative playmaker like Rayner in the field for them. Aston Villa's veteran goalkeeper, who I love this stat, second game on the run, conceded a goal while outside of his own box, which is really an impressive feat, TBH. He charged out towards the halfway line to get nowhere near Harvey Barnes and then floundered like a ball Jordan Pickford as a Burnley-born sniper lashed the ball home. Who needs Jamie Vardy when he got Rainer taken up the same positions? Vardy, though, rumbled on, scored twice, breaking 644 goalless minutes to notch his league-leading 19th of the season. I loved it when he smashed a penalty past Sad Pepe Rainer. And then Vardy, what a knob, screamed at him in celebration. Vardy later explained, keeper said I was going down the middle. So I said to him, you tried to call my bluff. Oh, which I believe is a very heavily self-edited account of the events. What what would you imagine Jamie Vardy saying? Well, I mean, he said a lot of things, and they're not usually complete sentences. Beers, Beers on, on the coach the, on, the on the plane. plane. We asked lip readers to chime in and, and tell us what they saw at Chip Sanders 10, who is a lip reader, 
told us that Vardy actually screamed at Pepe Reina, a good way to make sure your portfolio is diversified is to invest in different types of monetary instruments. Some people like to mix things up by investing in fine art. It's brilliant. When you, when you really are informed, Davo, it takes your knowledge of football next level. Sheffield United 1, Norwich City nil. A goal from hometown heroes steal City. Tim Riggins, Billy Sharp keeps the blades unbeaten in four <laughs> as they see off the bottom of the table. Canaries, their seventh, level on points with Wolves. Just two points behind United and five behind Chelsea. The chip butty, Rog, it may be making its way onto European menus. Which, chip is, which is a miracle. It is a miracle that they are just two points off potential Champions League place. It is astonishing. We should never forget this storyline. And, and huge credit, Dean Henderson, who had a just a majestic double save late on to secure the points. Billy Sharp, though, had the honour, the real joy of meeting him this summer. He's a magnificent human being, a local lad, a child Blades fan, who's had three spells with the club, scored for them in three divisions of football. He's now 34 years old. He's been told at every single level when they got promoted, you'll be found out now, Billy. You won't be able to score anymore. And he's proved the naysayers wrong. And when you meet him, he remains so human, so humble, so hilarious. His Twitter feed self-describes as, I'm just that fat lad from Sheffield. Billy Sharp, all that's good about football and life. Southampton nil, Newcastle one, and Alan St. Maxim goal and... Quite remarkable celebration. Love that flip, Rog. They lift Steve Bruce's big and boys over the 10-man Saints. The two now on 35 points. They've got to be safe at this point. Yeah, 10-man Ralph Hampton finally capitulated to Beacon's Newcastle. Struck late by that charismatic Sam Maximin, a cult hero who survived a bust-up with Steve Bruce to deliver much-needed joy for the travelling Toon Faithful. A massive three points which will mean Newcastle will be able to fight off relegation again next season uh, with maybe with Floyd Mayweather as their owner. I can't think genuinely if you are looking for stability and you're looking for a future of just strategic ownership, just what it must feel to know that Floyd Moneyman is coming in to possibly run your club. The stat I love from this one, Newcastle missed a penalty and only mention it because it means they have now missed four of their last five penalties, which actually is impressive in its own right. A way to get a goalless draw with them is just to keep giving away penalties for the whole 90 yeah. minutes. Well, speaking of goalless draws, Wolves nil, Brighton nil, only one shot in each half in this one. Wolves are in sixth place, two points behind United and five off the Chelsea. The Seagulls, meanwhile, are the only side in England's top four tiers yet to win a league match in 2020. Graham, lots of draws. Potter has his mob two points clear of the drop. I love this stat from British statsman at Oily Sailor who tweeted, Brighton Hove Albion versus Wolverhampton Wanderers at 43 characters is the longest fixture in top flight history. Facts. <sighs> I can't wait for Atherton, Laburnan Rovers, Chessington and Hook United and Royal Wooten Bassett Town to get into the Premier League, Davo, and just make all you Scrabble-playing triple word score lovers nipples tingle. Crystal Palace won Watford nil. Palace continued their fine form thanks to the one true AU brother, Jordan Rodge put some respect on that man's name. Eight goals this season. They're up to 11th place with 39 points. Astonishing. Three wins, three clean sheets on the bounce. Amazing feat by 72-year-old Roy Hodgson, who's had to spend all week addressing questions of exactly what he'd do if the Premier League banned fans over the age of 70 
from their grounds. Yes, and IU brother scored again his eighth of the season, second consecutive game winner. Such a slept on weapon because of the damage his brother did to the IU brand. But know this, there are few strikers who could have made so much out of so little service all season long. Really an impressive unsung feat for Watford. Hangover after the champagne celly of last week's shock victory against Liverpool. That's the reality of this season's Premier League campaign. Norwich found that out too this week, that you're only as good as your last game. Though I did like Troy Deeney taking his lap of honour this week by telling the papers, to become a new man, you have to kill the old one. <laughs> I've got a new game. Is it a Troy Deeney quote or Marlowe Stanfield from The Wire? Troy Deeney, moving on from Premier League action, Rog, the US women's national team have been she-believing, dumping an under-par England. They don't seem to be that good anymore. 2-0, courtesy of a press, now routine airbender. They then fended off a fearless Spain 1-0, courtesy of a late Julie Ertz trademark header, to sit top of the table with just winless Japan to play tomorrow night. But the most significant action, Rog, has been taking place off the field as the fight for equal pay rumbles on. Yes, she believes that the court case which is looming in May between the US women and US soccer is possibly going to happen. On the field, the US women have played Spain three times in the past 15 months. The games have been tight every time. 3-1-0 US wins. I'll say the Spaniards play with such joy, intelligent movement, technical confidence on the ball. I do believe they will win a World Cup in the next two decades. This one... One though by an 87th minute, Julia Ertz header. If you leave her open from the set piece, she will send you to the shadow realm. US soccer president Carlos Cordero elected to post an open letter to US soccer fans on the eve of the game and International Women's Day, stating the Federation's position on equal pay, to which the US women responded through a spokesperson with what the New York Times' Andrew Das called a two-footed tackle of a response. A trial in May seems an increased possibility I will say with US soccer in such a oh, unleveraged position and this ultimately being a public relations battle at this point, I cannot believe for a moment that US soccer are going to want the case to go all the way. Yeah, let's hope not, Rog. Your weekend looks like this. Watford hosts Leicester in the urbane cycling enthusiast new husband, Brodge meets agro Friday night bowling league ex, Nigel Pearson. More awkwardness as Jose Mourinho and Spurs welcome former flame Man United to their abode. And Monday, it's the big one, Everton versus Liverpool at 4 p.m. Eastern time uh, on him. Yes, and followed by the Men in Blazers show at 6.30pm Eastern. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister. Find out what's going to happen this weekend. Roger. Oh, this Jägermeister taste of Everton victory because like space being infinite or numbers going on forever, to be candid, any other kind of result is impossible for my human brain to even be able to compute. And I'm dreading 6.30 Eastern Time, Monday, the Men in Blazers live post-Liverpool derby. Oh, my shot of Jägermeister, Rog. You're going to like it. Well, you're not going to like it that much. It still does taste of a massive Liverpool win at Goodison. However, however, I do think City will beat Arsenal on Wednesday. Burnley Saturday, meaning Liverpool will have to wait. I will say, I've been enjoying the Everton chat rooms on the internet where Everton fans are talking about ways they can just completely sully the joy of Liverpool fans winning the league. There's one guy who's come up with the idea that no Everton fans should go to the game 
to make it look like no one's asked about Liverpool winning the title. He's thinking about future generations when they see photographs of the moment, like Liverpool <laughs> score their fifth goal and thrash a beleaguered Colo Ancelotti's Everton. He, he wants a stadium to seem empty, so like no one cares. And then he had the second idea, which was to take massive photos of very controversial 1980s BBC television presenters who've done awful things and are now in prison. He wants to blow up incredibly large photographs, have them draped on banners all around the stadium so it will ruin Liverpool's photos for the future. They won't be able to show anyone. Everton, not so good creatively on the field, but the fans created very mind effective. game of it. Amazing work. Do yeah, we, amazing we, work. Can we get a trophy for that? There are many uh, ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium. It's transformed into the Men in Blazers board mark. Anytime you buy something big or small from the board mark, we get a tiny percentage. It allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the board mark this week, Roger? A book, The Cactus League by Emily Nemmins. A wonderful volume. Oh, what a joyful volume. I needed this book. We are entering spring training of a baseball season in which the Chicago White Sox will end up as your World Series champion. So I'm celebrating... By reading this, no other way to say it. Incredible debut collection of just intelligent, interlinked short stories set in Phoenix. Looks at the ritual of spring training through just a multitude of eyes. Coaches, star players, an owner, physical therapist, an agent, the concession guys. Nemins is known as a beautiful writer. She's also the editor of the Paris Review. And she knows her baseball. But more than that, she understands human motivation in kind of a Jurgen Klopp level way. It's beautiful. It's brilliant. J-Dubs made me read it. You should read it too. It revels in the wonder and the dark side of American success. And you can keep up with what we're reading on the Men in Blazers Goodreads page. We've got a Goodreads page now, thanks to producer Jordan, who started it, and which I will say I'm savouring. Each one of your recommendations of the flooding in uh, via this new channel is a thing of wonder. Courage. Uh, Rog, I'm not so much putting anything in the Emporium this week as offering Southern Californian GFOPs an opportunity to go and uh, watch me in my little side hustle. That's producing the epic revival of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the primetime game show that changed my life more than 20 years ago. We're bringing it back to ABC in primetime. That starts airing April 8th, but we're going to record, you know, at least eight episodes, maybe more, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Los Angeles, in Culver City, at Sony Studios. And I would really love uh, to invite um, GFOPs, uh, any GFOPs who want to come, uh, to come and see that. Um, Simply email uh, millionairevip2020 at gmail.com. That's millionairevip2020 at gmail.com. I've put a lot of work into this. Jimmy Kimmel hosting, amazing celebrities book. We're going to give millions and millions of dollars away to really significant charities. We're launching this amazing app-based game, kind of like the uh, now defunct HQ, and it's going to go on after the show, and it's going to give everyone in America a chance to win the same amount of money that the celebrities are winning in the studio. But I'd love to have some GFOPs there. As you know, Rog, I've worked hard on this. I'm so grateful to you for covering me on Men in Blazes yesterday on the TV show when I had to be out here uh, working on the production. Um, I have to admit... I'm producing this show with a fairly heavy heart right now. Um, my dad uh, was Ross Trevor, who many of you who've listened to the podcast before have heard me talk about this amazing, strong, brilliant, heroic man. Um, he's to turn 91 next month. He was rushed to the emergency room at uh, a hospital yesterday, having had a massive stroke. Um, 
he would want me to continue to do this, to produce this show. Um, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to need the support of all my friends, all GFOPs as I go through it. So thank you. Sorry for if I seem a little distracted during this podcast and uh, uh, distracted as I continue sort of in all these roles. But um, it's going to be a great show. I would love to see you all there. Thank you so much, Rog. Oh, Dave, I, with huge love, life is amazing. Life is challenging. Life is full of wonder. Life is full of darkness. You're a remarkable human being. And you're very brave to talk about this, to keep fighting on in the way you are. Your dad is a remarkable man. And I'm sure as my heart, everybody who listens to this podcast, hearts are with you and will be lifting you up at this time of wonder and of time of just the greatest, greatest challenge to your father, to health, to life, to life being sometimes great, to life being often terribly, terribly, terribly crappy. That ultimately is all of our human condition. And I'm sure everyone listening will raise uh, a glass to that spirit. We love you, Davo. Love your football. Love you, Trevor. And uh, just to health, to happiness, to life, to making meaning every single second of the day and taking nothing for granted. Uh, thanks so much, Rog. I love you. Love you.